Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. This is episode 65 of the Plus Dave podcast. Just nine of our 65 episodes so far have come at a time where Antonio Conte was not the Spurs manager. This is the 10th, and as such, it is something of a special episode, so we have decided to bring out the big guns and bring in a special guest who has appeared before, but not for quite some time. My pleasure to reintroduce you to Elio's cousin and a man who is probably the only person I can think of who rivals Elio, both in terms of Spurs knowledge and, I guess, Spurs-induced desolation, and that is Socrates. Socks, welcome back to the Plus Day podcast. How are you, mate? I'm worried about living in the shadow of Elio, the way you've introduced me. No, no, he's in your shadow, mate. Don't worry. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned that because before these two decided to join us for the episode, it was just Socks and me here and we were having a little chat and Socks revealed a bit of a, a kind of behind the curtain secret of the Plus Day podcast. Uh, it's come to light that apparently Elio regularly calls him on the way back from games and the two of them discuss all things Spurs and apparently Socks has informed me a lot of the wisdom that Elio passes off on this podcast is actually completely lifted and plagiarized from the mind of Socrates. So, uh, Elio, what do you say to these allegations that can't be proved? <laughs> that can't be proved indeed. Um, Socks is a very good sounding board. He helps me gain clarity and move away from the emotion of the occasion. He he has a very valid contribution to what I produce. So, so yeah, I'm more than happy for Socks to get some minor royalties for uh, what I what I bring to the podcast. But no joke aside, yeah, Socks is the only other Spurs fan I know whose opinion I value, and therefore I do like to discuss what goes on after the events to make sure I come in with my A game more often than not. So do you feel more or less pressure after hearing that? It sounded like a backhanded compliment, a criticism and some nepotism sort of all into one. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of it, but it could be a end of the day. So, yeah. Who's the one selling the records, Elton John or Bernie Talpin? Am I Elton John? This is going off on a wild tangent. I'm, I'm going to cut in and I'm going to introduce no. the third guest, which is, of course, the, the title character himself is Dave. Dave, welcome back. Sorry you had to sit through that. How are you doing today? That's all right. I'm fine. I, I, to be honest, I was, I was thinking, I wasn't really thinking Elton John and Bernie Topping. I was thinking maybe Socks is the Jordi Morris to your Frank Lampard. <laughs> yeah, there's the nepotism coming back in again. Well, I would dare suggest that both of them are much more entitled to be on this show than either of those two are to be in any kind of position in football but so uh, we move on of course the big news is that Spurs are no longer managed by Antonio Conte that is the development we had the inevitable looming club statement come in over the last couple of days Spurs have parted waves with Conte the surprising aspects of it of course being that Stellini is staying on in charge until the end of the season on an interim basis with Ryan Mason as the assistant I think a lot of people suspected Mason would be taking over as a top dog so obviously that to discuss we're going to talk about what happens next what that means for the rest of the season. I'm going to talk about Harry Kane, who is now, of course, England's all-time top goal scorer, and our expert opposition scout, Dave, is going to tell us all about Everton, who are our next opponents, who we play away on Monday. Dave, of course, is keeping a very close eye on Everton because they are one of about 14 teams with which he is locked in a relegation battle. Uh, so <laughs> more on that to come, but only one place to start. 
And that is, of course, Antonio Conte, who, as we all expected, would happen at some point between now and the end of the season, has parted ways with Tottenham. Socks, I'll come to you as a special guest. I'm going to be a gentleman and come to you first and get your thoughts because I've heard very little about your thoughts in general on Antonio Conte. How do you feel about the way this has all ended? And what are your overall feelings looking back on the Antonio Conte era, if I can even call it an era? It feels like a slightly better version of the Jose one in the sense that we did a speed run of the Antonio Conte experience, which was typically start off pretty well. And then he does the bit where he wins the league and then it all crashes and burns. We didn't do the middle bit or anything anything close to it. I feel like with the benefit of hindsight, and I'll be honest, I I wanted him at the time we sacked Nuno. I wasn't keen on him in the summer before because I think we were linked to people like Ten Hag and I think even Graham Potter that made a lot more sense. But at the time we sacked Nuno, I was more than happy for him to come in. I think in hindsight, it feels like the right coach for the wrong club in the sense that when we first hired Paratici, he was talking about Tottenham being a 10-year project. Antonio yeah. Conte isn't the manager that you hire in year one, two, three, or four of that project. It's year seven, eight, and nine. Mm. And I think we've been having this talk about a painful rebuild for the better part of about four years now. And we don't seem through a combination of poor recruitment and poor managerial choices to have gotten the right pieces of the jigsaw to actually do the rebuild properly. I don't want to start kind of blaming everything on Enix Store or on the board store because Conte himself is culpable. And ultimately, this felt like an inevitability. It was basically when, not if at this point. I didn't expect the when to be at 10.22 p.m. on a Sunday evening. But then again, I think, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we sat Ramos and appointed Red up at something like 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. So it's not the weirdest thing we've ever yeah. done. But- at least it wasn't a half time of a game as well. <laughs> that too, yeah. But it did feel very much like inevitability. And even if we'd gotten away with Southampton with all three points, it may as well happen after Everton or another game after that. So I don't think it's been a disaster of a rain. I mean, he did get us top four in what wasn't even a full season. So I don't think it's been as bad as the Jose experience. But Mm. I think where the fan base, which is very fractured at the moment, is in agreement is that enough of these now. We did Jose, we did Conte, yeah. let's draw a line under this type of manager, whoever the next guy is. Absolutely, yeah. We've got plenty of the painful and not quite enough of the uh, rebuild, unfortunately. Uh, Elio, what are your overall thoughts at this moment? You've made your thoughts quite clear in the, <laughs> the fallout from Antonio's last press conference. We, we don't want to open up any old wounds there, but how are you feeling looking back on the whole experience of Conte managing us? Because as I said, he didn't do badly. He's, it's not a complete disaster from start to finish, but obviously sour taste at the end. What are your thoughts? at this moment looking towards the end of the season and the future for Spurs? I mean, somewhat feeling vindicated that clearly Messrs Levy and Paratici are listeners to our podcast and took my opinions on board after our last episode. (laughs) But this is the right call. In terms of the rain, you could say success because he got us back to fourth spot for the first time in a few seasons since 2019. But you then have to just think, was fourth spot with Kane and Son on the form of their lives just hitting par. I always mm. judge a manager, and Sox knows this very well, by what they actually extract from the squad compared to the squad's abilities. And yeah. I've been saying for a while now that I feel we have been playing beneath the sum of our parts. I think if you just look at player for player, squad for squad, and yes, the old thing I always say about football not being played on paper, I do think we are a top four squad, even if we're not an ideal squad, even if there are flaws, even if there are things in there that we can say, well, the manager's not been backed with what he wanted. We've let this position go stale for too long. I don't see four teams in the league, four squads in the league that are better than ours. In fact, I don't see 
free to tell you the truth. I, I just see that two of the sides above us have been managed by their managers better in the one instance because he got several years of backing in the other instance because he was backed with a bit of a purge, including shipping out Cristiano Ronaldo to Saudi Arabia and uh, given the types of players he wanted. So... I think, yes, it's all well and good to say Conte got a Jed Spence when he wanted a Pedro Porro. Ponte got a Dan Juma, whatever. He loved coming out with this line about club signings, but ultimately I feel the manager did not get the sum of its part out of this squad. The managers that have succeeded with us, relatively speaking, have been managers who have got at least the sum of its parts, if not more than, and I'm talking about Martin Yol, I'm talking about Harry Redknapp, I'm talking about, obviously, Maurizio Pochettino. And... Conte's arrogance to stick to his system and his ideals about how he feels he should be backed when he knew what he was signing up for when he came to Spurs. It's no secret that Spurs operate a certain way. Conte's no fool. He can't have come into Spurs thinking, oh, they're going to do everything different for me than they did for the best manager they've had in the modern era. He must have known what kind of club we are. And he's still got far more backing in a short space of time than any previous manager in well, maybe all of Spurs history, but definitely in Enix history. So I just don't mm. buy the whole club signings, not getting what I want here. You have what you have. It may not be exactly what you want, but do the best with it you can. Brian Hill's gone on loan in Spain and has just got a recall to the Spain squad. Why wasn't he used more when we had Kulusevsky, Son and Richarlison all injured at the same time? Jed Spence is having a really good time in France. Marks Mbappe out of a game the other day. Why didn't he get any chance whatsoever? I think Conte was blinded by his own expectations of what he feels he deserves. And unfortunately, that was the running theme his entire time with us. It was all about what he deserves, not about what the club deserves from him. And that kind of air of he's taken a step down and is doing us a favour for a princely sum of 300 grand a week just meant that it doesn't matter if all his points were valid. And I do believe all his points were valid, by the way. It doesn't matter because... He never actually played the game in the slightest. And then when you make excuses about Spurs aren't a winning club, this is their history, but you essentially manufacture a defeat to Sheffield United in the FA Cup only to then still go out to AC Milan and lose your next league game. It just really gave him not a leg to stand on. So I think the sacking was the right decision. It was potentially overdue and... Even if Cellini's a Conte man, the fact of the matter is that without the micromanagement of Conte from the sidelines, our players performed a hell of a lot better, regardless of what we think the formation should be. Conte's players played with the handbrake on. Hopefully, the theme of Cellini's players not playing with a handbrake on continues, because by God, do we need some results now? So yeah, Spurs played with a handbrake on with Conte. Hopefully, with Cellini back in their micromanagement from the sidelines, the handbrake comes off again like it did in his previous reign in charge. I think even though Stellini is going to be the manager by title, from everything I've seen in the papers and from everything I know about the last time he was in charge and the respect he seemed to gain in that period, I think Ryan Mason is going to have a fairly big influence. He seems to be being groomed as central boss one day. So I think it's going to be Stellini in charge on paper, Ryan Mason getting to call the shots a bit without massive pressure. That's what it feels like to me anyway. That is some excellent and thorough insight analysis. Thank you for that, Sox. Really appreciate it. And uh, Elio, great (laughs) note-taking. Very well done. Um, (laughs) 
it's easy this podcast it really is it really is yeah (laughs) so dave you've been patiently sitting there listening to these two we knew that you struggled to get a word in with these two on the show which is obviously great because that makes our lives a little bit easier doesn't it but i want to come to you now and get your thoughts on the whole situation generally but also like where does spurs go from here because it's clear the idea a lot of people want to reinforce is let's not make the same mistake again let's do something a little bit different is there potentially a danger of overcorrecting? because you see that a lot where i think okay this hasn't worked let's do the complete opposite what do you think is the smart play at this point if you were in charge of finding spurs then it's manager without specifically saying who you would hire but what kind of profile and what kind of approach do you think we should be looking at well, I think obviously with what's happened in Munich over the last mm. few days, there is a very real risk of you doing a football manager and the transfer windows closing in four hours and you've got 40 million in the bank and you just don't know what to do. So you're just going to buy the biggest shiny thing that you can see. But hopefully your knees won't be a jerking as much as that and you will do something a bit more sensible. I think I, I disagree with two strongly with two things that, that Elio oh. just said. Hang on, let, let me get um, a popcorn out. Give me a second. Go on. Yep. Yeah. I think this was a disaster because I think this was an opportunity. And I also think that there are probably four, if not five, squads that are better than Spurs' squad at the moment. And I think the main issue is that this was an opportunity to push on Spurs. This should be a three-horse race for the title. A la Leicester, when yeah. they won the title, this should be a three-horse race with Arsenal and City because Liverpool have been poor. Chelsea have been poor. Manchester United are a level beneath those two. And Tottenham, with Conte, on the crest of the wave from the fourth position last season, had the opportunity to push on, and they have not. And that's an opportunity missed because, guess what? Liverpool aren't going to be this bad next season. Chelsea aren't going to be this bad next season. Unless you make this the right appointment now, you guys might finish seventh. Easily finish seventh next season. Like, distant seventh. It is about making the right appointments, but equally, the right appointments has to be someone who can work with the types of players we do have in the club, which is a lot of very capable attacking players. And then he has to be backed with a good defence behind him. But I look at our attack and barring Manchester City, I'm not envious of any of our supposed rivals for that. I'm not envious of their their midfielders specifically either. Manchester United strengthened very, very well. I'd say their squad is level with ours I wouldn't say it was I, you could argue it was better I think you could argue ours is as well though because they still don't have anyone that laces Harry Kane or Kim and Son's boots I'd say Newcastle's is far inferior to us and they win their games in hand they're above us I say Liverpool's with the losses that they have had over the past couple of years specifically Mane and Wijnaldum and the aging of people like Henderson and Milner and not really being able to replace them adequately a bit like us with the likes of the Tongan I don't look at theirs and say that they have a better squad. I think it's on a par. And Chelsea don't even have a centre-forward to pick from these days when they don't have the players to play without a centre-forward. So talk about holes in the squad. Chelsea have a squad geared to play with a false nine and they don't play good enough football to play with a false nine. So they want to play like Manchester City without having players on Manchester City's level. Manchester City have a clearly better squad than ours. Arsenal have a better managed squad than ours. I think you put the right manager in charge of our squad versus theirs, and I'm taking ours every time. I just think we have been really poorly managed 
the entirety of this season. I think for me, the problem at Tottenham is that we have no idea what we are or what we want to be. I think we can talk about the Conte appointment and the squads and stuff like that. I feel like it needs to be zoomed out about five more times because mm. if you look at our, our last five appointments, Pochettino aside, they were AVB, Nuno Espirito Santo, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. And important mm. to remember with Pochettino, our first choice target was Louis van Gaal. Obviously, we then landed mm. on Poch, which is absolutely fine. But the first guy that we wanted was Van Gaal and United, thankfully, took it from under yeah. our noses. We've had one day Ramos, we've had Jack Santini. Of all the managers we've ever hired under Enoch, we have essentially done the Abramovich model or what Woodward has done with United, Man United, sorry, Dave, <laughs> over the past Thank you. 10 years, which is essentially schizophrenically gallivant around from manager to manager, style to style, kind of back them in the transfer market, but also not really give them 18 months, sack them, and then repeat. So whoever the next guy is that comes in, he is going to have four or five managers worth, if we want to be technical, Hugo Lloris goes as far back as AVB. Realistically, it's from Pochettino onwards. The next guy coming in, whoever it is, will have Pochettino players, Nuno players, Conte players, and Jose Mourinho mm. players. Whoever is, the first thing we need to do is decide, okay, what are we? Do we have a managing director of football or not? Because we've done it with Camoli and Baldini and Pratici. There have been times where we haven't done it at all. Because Pratici's probably going to end up sacked or in prison or whatever it is. He's, I think we can confidently assume he's not going to be here. Okay, number one, what do we want? Number two, if we have this mythical managing director, who's going to decide who the coach is? Because Pratici was the one that appointed Nuno. But as far as we're aware from the media, the likes of Alistair Gold and a few others, Conte was driven by Levy. Levy did it under the cover of darkness in terms of sacking Nuno, who was a shit appointment, by the way. I'm not giving Pratici mm. credit for that. But Levy was the one that thought, you know what, screw this. Not that it was the wrong decision to sack him, it was the right decision. And then went for Conte. We go from pillar to post. It's like we realize one thing is broken. And then our response isn't to look at it in a nuanced way. It's to run a thousand miles in the opposite direction. And then it's to do the same again when that inevitably breaks. So we need to decide what are we as a football club? I've got no idea. I mean, I I know what I want us to be, but I've got no idea what this current incarnation of Tottenham is. I also don't know what its goals are. If you ask Daniel Levy, he'd probably tell you top four. But what what is it actually? What is the three-year plan at Tottenham? Is it to just consist... When Pochettino was hired, he had a remit. The remit was to get us into the Champions League by the time we opened the new stadium. Pochettino's mistake was being too good for his own good so that the expectations rose unrealistically because within season number two he had us challenging for the title let alone qualifying for the Champions League but that's another conversation so what is the three five year plan at Tottenham Newcastle's owners I know they've got more money than God but they came in and inherited a club that was about to go down and said within 10 years we want to win the league I've got no idea what we want I don't know if Levy himself knows and I I don't want to hear any meaningless platitudes from the owners about oh we want to play good football and be competitive because that's literally every single club in existence Mm. (laughs) so we need to decide what do we want to be. That means the playing style. That means whether we want to incorporate youth players. That means what kind of money we have to spend and what sorts of players we should be signing, i.e. what Arsenal are doing or similar to what Chelsea are doing or more realistically, a blend somewhere in between the two. And then you take it from there. And when we say good football, I need to know what good football is because this football, the way Poch does it, this football, the way Pep does it, this football, the way Klopp does mm. it. So I'm almost... I think now talking about, sorry to sort of digress, but I think whether our squad is good or crap or anywhere in the middle, this isn't an Antonio Conte problem at Tottenham in the way that it wasn't Jose, in the way that it wasn't really Nuno. Yes, they were a problem, but 
the pattern is clear at this point. There is a clear pattern and we need to decide which way we are steering the ship. Otherwise, you know, record this, clip this, save it, bookmark <laughs> it. We will be here in 12 months time, 18 months time, and some other idiot, whether it's Nagelsmann or Pochettino, will be sat getting a bollocking from all of us because he's inevitably failed with this squad that we're overrating or underrating. I think that's fair. And yeah, the lack of identity and the lack of continuity is ultimately the biggest cause of this issue. What I would say is that it wasn't always the case. And the fairly linear progression we did make for a good 15 years came out of the fact that there was a continuity in the way they did things. Yes, there were managers that had slightly tweaked styles of football. Redknapp wasn't the same as Pochettino, wasn't the same as Martignol. They're all different in the way they approached it, albeit the common gene of wanting to play an attractive football of sorts. But ultimately, every single one of those managers was a manager with something to prove. Someone who, for Spurs, it was the biggest job of their life. And that was that was half that equation. And the other half of it was they stuck to a specific transfer policy, whoever the manager was, whether it was them, whether it was Ramos, whether it was AVB, of investing in hungry players, young players that needed to be developed. And the managers who worked with that, which were Yol, which were Redknapp, which were Pochettino, regardless of their style, they adapted to that squad makeup, got the best out of that squad makeup and progressed the club up the table and played good football, even if it was their version of good football while they're at it. The managers that have failed is every single other manager. Those managers lasted three and a half, four and five and a half years, respectively. Every other manager hasn't even managed 18 months. Every other manager thought that had to be their way of the highway. Those managers wanted to adapt to what they were given. Every other manager came in with some kind of an impressive CV, the ex-France manager, the WAFA Cup winning manager who almost won the league with Seville, the elite manager. I hate the term elite manager. What the f*** is that? Someone who's been given loads and loads of money, the elite manager in Mourinho and Conte. They've all gone to the club and said, you give me what I want. The other managers have gone to the club and said, cool, this is what I've had. This is the biggest opportunity of my life, so I'm going to work my ass off to make the most of it. And yes, all of those managers eventually suffered in the fact that they took us to a level where they were then not back to get us to the next level, but they all progressed us because they were all humble enough to realise Spurs is a f***ing great job and these are better players than I've ever played with before, so let's make the most of it, work with it and improve. And that's also the reason why the Carl Walkers and the Gareth Bales and even at a lesser level, the Aaron Lennon and Tom Huddlestons of this world became really good players for us. And you could never see those kinds of players developing. Imagine if Conte had been manager of a 17-year-old Bale. Mm. Gareth Bale would have never happened. No bicycle kick winner in a Champions League final. No way. I mean, these are all guys that came in and embraced what they had. And you know what? I repeat what I said a week ago. I don't want some trophy-laden elite CV as our next manager. I want someone who realises that this is the opportunity of a lifetime, the opportunity to make this sleeping giant of a club great again. And that manager will be the manager that actually embraces what he has at his disposal and earns the right to ask for more. Conte never earned the right to ask for more. He hit par last season and then didn't coach them at all over the summer, just did repetitive fitness exercises. And by mid-season, they were knackered this season and we started floundering. That's what Conte did. That's what Mourinho did as well. The second the new manager bounce wore off, they both failed because... 
they wanted to do it their way. So you talk about wanting an identity. I agree with you. We do need an identity, but the identity has to be set by the club and embraced by the manager, not the other way around. Make Tottenham great again. There you go. There you go. Uh, (laughs) At the risk of sounding really reductive and oversimplifying this, it it sounds like it comes down to two archetypes or two tropes. You've got the, and again, I hate this expression, but the win now manager and the project manager, I suppose. Maybe that's for me grossly oversimplifying what you guys were just saying, but the impression I get from the majority of the fan base through the microscope of Twitter and through talking to various friends and you guys is that we're done with the former and we need the latter and we need to be patient. The whole painful rebuild thing needs to come back. The whole Tottenham DNA promise that Daniel Levy issued needs to be put into practice and that involves somebody for whom this is a step up, somebody who has got something to prove and somebody who will play exciting attacking football and give the kids a chance. What I was going to ask, and Dave, I know you're itching to get your words in, so sorry if this takes you in a different direction, but you can come back to this. I was going to ask, who is there out there that actually ticks these boxes? Who is the next Pochettino? Is it Pochettino or is it somebody else? And what are the options? And let's compare them and talk about who could potentially be the right man for the job. I will let you guys talk about that. I've got a few names as well that I could throw into the ring, but I would also say that when you're talking about that, the most important thing, I think, out of all of this, because I do believe that Tottenham have a bit of a Goldilocks syndrome going on right now, which is everything is either too left or too right, two projects or too elite. And the problem is you're going to be coming up against not only that mindset of essentially you're a club between two worlds. You're a club between, you know, the striving, fighting to be part of the top table and the top table. You are literally in the middle of those two. And I would argue that your chairman thinks that you're already at the top table Mm. and that ego might be something that drives against you. So my question would be, out of all the people that are available that we're going to talk about right now, who would the fan base accept and who would Daniel Levy accept? Because I think those are Mm. two different things. So my impression is that the fans are so thirsty right now to just enjoy going to matches again that even if it was some journeyman who lasted two years, wherever he went, a Marco Silva, but actually plays good football. At this point, we take it because we're on our knees as a fan base, having had to watch this coward tactics for the last four years, nearly since Pochettino was sacked. So I think a lot of the fan base would accept that. So I think a lot of us just feel defeated. Me personally, I want us to still be ambitious with the appointments, but ambitious in the right way. So for me, it, I think Sox and I in private discussed it and he's very dead against Pochettino because he thinks that it's sort of set up to fail from minute one with Pochettino, essentially. So who's the next Pochettino out there is the question to ask because we're kind of in the same position we were when Pochettino was appointed in the first place. A squad that needs a revamp, a squad that needs leadership, but a squad that also needs someone who embraces it and works with it. And I can't really look past Deserbi at the moment for that. Yeah, he's the obvious one, isn't he? He is pretty much what Pochettino was when we hired him with the key difference that he's only been there for about six months, which makes it a little bit trickier on paper to get him. One problem that I've, I'm not sure if you would agree with this, but the impression I get is that the way we're set up, the way we've been going about this, and again, this comes back to what you were just saying, Dave, and the idea that Levy obviously sees us as a huge mega club and wants to hire huge mega managers. I think we as a club, as a prospect to manage, appeal to egotistical managers and i asked the question who would want to manage spurs 
if they're good enough to take us to that next level and there's somebody that could get one of the other top jobs. Dave, if you were a young football manager, you know, you've been noticed from your incredible achievements taking leads to the Champions League on Football Manager 2021. You've been given a job. You've had a couple of stints at maybe a second tier club. You've gone to a top tier club in Europe somewhere. You've worked your way up. You're doing really well and you've got your pick of not the top tier, not the elite multiple Champions League winning clubs, but you could go to somewhere like Tottenham or you could go to any number of clubs in Europe, would you be interested in taking a job at Tottenham? Do you think that there is an appeal of managing Tottenham given that it appears to be this poison chalice and that there's such a high expectation? Or would you see it as actually the bar is actually quite low because they've not won anything and they just want someone to come in and play good football? Is it an attractive proposition for any manager that isn't just deluded and in love with himself? I go back to what I just said in terms of where you guys are as a stature of a club. I think any manager who has worked his way up would sell their mums (laughs) to manage Tottenham. It's an incredible opportunity. But the problem we have is that, and I, I honestly believe this, and even to the point that I kind of dismiss the Pochettino, the new Pochettino Zerbi chat, is the fact that you kind of pass that. You pass that ability to take an up-and-coming manager to take you and take you to the next level where you want to be. But you can't take the people who are already in the elite roles because the people already in the elite roles aren't going anywhere near you. Mm. You've got two guys that have, well, I mean, time will tell, but it feels like that they're on the downward curve, both Mourinho and, yeah. and Conte, although, you know, Sod's law, Tottenham law, Conte might get another job and win everything next. Um, uh, Just just to rub it in for you guys. But that's the problem. The problem is that you could get Deserby, but if you lose two games in a row, three games in a row, I can't not see your entire fan base just turning on it. I don't think we are past that, Dave. I don't think we are, because if you look at where we are in the league, we were already getting into the Champions League. Before Poch came in, Harry Redknapp got us into the Champions League. I don't think we're in a dramatically better position now than we were around the time Pochettino came in. We've got a lovely stadium now and we've got a better infrastructure and maybe it's more attractive for players to come in but I don't necessarily think we're in a dramatically better place to the extent that we need to be bringing in these big time managers the problem with the big time manager is that there's two situations one it's someone who's already enjoying the throes of success and he's so good that he can get a better club than us Simple as he can get Liverpool, he can get Chelsea, he can get Real Madrid there's a chance that Real Madrid might want Pochettino and we won't even get him (laughs) The other version of the big manager is that they're slightly damaged goods. And it might be a Mourinho or a Conte who's sort of managerial behemoth who has gone on the downward slope of their career. Or it might be someone like Nangelsman who impressed enough to get the buying job. And that seems in the end ill-suited for whatever reason. And now he's somewhat damaged goods. And he's someone we're being linked to heavily now because he's just been sacked. I get really big AVB vibes from that Mm. situation. I don't want to go anywhere near that personally. Interesting. What do you think, Sox? I think for me, it kind of sums up where we are as a club because no one has done... I'm about as levy out as they come nowadays, but no one has done what we've done over the last 20 years in the Premier League where you've got Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Man United as your established big three. <laughs> the only two who have actually broken that are Chelsea and Man City. And we know how and why they've done it. They basically cheated and they're owned by warmongers and racists and homophobes and all the rest of it. The only other club that has consistently broken that is Tottenham Hotspur. If you look at our wage bill, it is distinctly six of six. And it's something like 220 million quid a year. For context, I think Man City, Man United are 350 million a year. Before a penny is even spent on transfers, we're being outspent by the tune of 130 million quid every single year. Over a decade, yeah. we get out by City 
to the tune of our entire stadium plus an extra hundred million. And that's not taking into account the Harlands and the Grealishes. So on one hand, we're doing a really bloody good job. Like we are consistently overachieving, but it's human nature that when you achieve something, you immediately look at the next thing. It's like going to work. You get a pay rise and a promotion. You enjoy it for 20 minutes and then it's like, okay, what's the next thing? Mm. You don't rest. You don't sit on your laurels, even if you're not the most ambitious person in the world. It's the same with... I remember when we qualified for the Champions League the first time, I screamed the house down. My mum was calling the police. She thought I was going wrong. <laughs> Honestly, she came in and I was like, you know, we qualified for the Champions League. And all that was for the qualifier that we almost bottled away at bloody young boys anyway. Yeah. But that's the problem with Spurs is that we're overachieving, which is great. But at the same time, that has risen the expectations, which is why I, I, I go back to what I said before. We need to outline kind of what we are and what we want to be. Because at the moment, what Spurs have done is kind of to what Dave was saying earlier – we're at the top table, but we're at the bottom of the top. Mm. We're the smallest of the big clubs. We are essentially the smallest fish in the biggest pond. And there's no point comparing us to everybody else. Like similarly sized clubs like, say, Everton, Villa, even a club like Newcastle. We're so much better than them in terms of what we've done over the last 20 years. You don't really bracket us with them because what's the point of doing that? At the same time, to kind of go against my own argument, I look at Arsenal this season. Their wage bill is almost exactly the same as yeah. ours, give or take a few million, and we make more money than them now. If you look at last season's finances, I'm pretty sure we made about 50 million quid more than them, and neither of us had Europe. Right? We had the Conference League, but we didn't even get to play. It, was six, like, it wouldn't have contributed to that. It's not as if that 50 million pound difference was Champions League money. So, I think we lost money by being that competition. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the flights were more than the prize money. So on that hand, you look at it and go, hold on a minute, we're overachieving, but at the same time, I almost feel like what Pochettino did was he made us dream and he made us believe and he made us realize that, you know what, we can overachieve actually even more than we've already been overachieving. So we are in this just bizarre place as a football club where partly through the fault of the owners and partly through the fault of the way football is at the moment, which is essentially my dad is richer than your dad. So I get to buy all these nice toys and you don't. We are in this position where it simultaneously feels like we're doing a pretty good job where we could also be doing much better than we currently are. So I think that is the enigma that is... Tottenham at the moment, which is why, again, I'll mention again because it, it bears repeating, we need to establish what the hell we are. We need to establish what we want to be. Mm. Are we a top four club? Is it cups over top four? Because when Pochettino was here, he said he didn't want to, like, not that he didn't want to win an FA Cup, but he said, that's not going to move the needle for Spurs. I want the yeah. league or the Champions League. And he came close enough to basically justify that point of view as far as I'm concerned. But with City, with Liverpool, with United probably under new ownership and a proper Man United, with a new ownership... <laughs> And a manager that is actually decent with a rejuvenated Arsenal, with Chelsea, who are still spending money under the new owner, and with Newcastle United obviously coming up our rear very, very quickly, it is much, much harder to achieve that level of overachievement. So it's the whole sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe <laughs> Except we're doing both at the same time. It's not sometimes one or the other. We're kind of simultaneously both. Yeah. It's a case of managing expectations, isn't it, really? And just kind of knowing what we're aiming for. I think uh, a lot of our fans might suggest that what we are and what our aims are is to basically be Arsenal in the latter years of Arsene Wenger and just consistently get into fourth place and keep on cashing in. I don't want to be a cynic and say that that's definitely the game plan, but a lot of people seem to think it is and it stands to reason. And I guess part of this whole discussion is a little bit moot if you are of the camp that think that is all this current ownership is ever going to strive for. But I guess the next question is, you know, if, if we are looking for some kind of progression plan, some kind of project over the course of a few years... What is the best way to establish that? Once we have said, if we come out and say, right, 
Tottenham DNA, long-term project, painful rebuild. We want to be challenging for the title in 10 years, let's say, for argument's sake. Who comes in? You're not a fan of the idea of Pochettino, first of all, which I think obviously a lot of people are. What is it that puts you off Poch? Do you think the game has just moved too far beyond where he was? or No, I don't think that he's a bad coach. I just think he's almost unsackable the second time around. Like if it starts <laughs> off badly and you have a Nuno after 10 games... You can't yeah. really get rid of him, number one. Number two is that the baggage will be there. For example, imagine it starts badly. What will everybody speak about? Us, pundits, neutrals, rival yeah. fans. They should never have brought him back. They should never of course, have brought him back. Yeah. It could be going badly just because if you remember Pochettino's first season the first time round, we weren't that great. We played about two good games that season, if I remember correctly. We finished fifth, but we weren't particularly good to watch. Yeah. It could be that we're not that good under Pochettino if he comes back just because it's pretty normal. If you look at Arteta, yeah. taking him three years, Klopp, it took four. Sir Alex Ferguson, it took five way back in the 90s. But everything that we do, unless we are an absolute raging success from the get-go, will always be met with that baggage. If we get to another FA Cup semi-final and lose, it won't be Spurs lost another FA Cup semi-final. It will be, well, should he have come back? It's too big of a thing that will be hanging over the club at yeah. any given moment. It just feels like... I understand the, the sentimentality behind it. I love Pochettino more than... Any mm. coach we ever had, he was a brilliant coach. He was, even if I speak to someone like my dad that has seen us win trophies and, and that has been there for most of the best moments in our club's history, especially from kind of the 70s onwards, he'll tell you yeah. the best team he's ever seen is that Pochettino team. And that was his happiest moment at Spurs, even without trophies. Wow. So I understand absolutely all of it. And I'd be lying if there wasn't a part of my my tiny heart that was Your broken yearning heart. for that from home. Yeah. yeah. But it, <laughs> There's just something about it that just doesn't, yeah. it, it, there's, there's, it just doesn't smell right. It just doesn't give you the, yeah. in the way that Elio looks at Nagelsmann and thinks this guy's ABB 2.0, whatever he's basing that on, it, it's a similar thing. It, it just doesn't feel like now is the right time for the mm -hmm. homecoming. And I think the, the second or the other point with that will be he hasn't really developed as a coach either. It's not as if he's gone on and he's managed a similar club like a Dortmund or a Sevilla or not the Barcelona or the Madrid, but the second sort of tier club. He hasn't really done not to, I don't really care about PSG because every manager fails there. It's it's even more of a poison yeah. challenge than our club. <laughs> but even if he hadn't managed just the first time round, would we be looking at him and saying he's the better option out of somebody like Deserbi or a Ruben Amrim or a Nagelsmann? Or are we making this decision because this guy made me feel really good the last time? I like that really good feeling. Let's bring him back the second <laughs> time round to try and replicate that that happiness. Oh, there's definitely an element to that, I think, for a lot of people. I think it's a case of how much worse can it get? At least we'll be happy. At least it might be fun for a bit. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, we thought the grass was greener. We were wrong. Yeah. Please forgive us and take us back. <laughs> Just going back to an ex after a really toxic relationship is that, basically, isn't it? Elio, you're slightly more pro the idea of Pochettino, aren't you? Have you... Now that the dust is settling a little bit and Conte is officially out the door and we're being linked to everyone under the sun. And there have been a few strong links and we've talked about Nagelsmann a couple of times and we should talk about him. Obviously, there was the Tuchel thing, which didn't happen. Are you still in the camp of Poch coming home is plan A, that's the dream, that's what you want to see? Or would you prefer somebody, the closest thing out there to what he was when we first had him? Um, if that exists. I feel like Pochettino, I don't share Sox's fears about him quite so much because I think in the same way that we're a club that's a foot in both camps, we're both the elite club and the not elite club at the same time. Yeah. 
I think Pochettino is kind of both the elite manager and not the elite <laughs> manager at the same time. He got the trophy and huge signing, huge ego players, monkey off his back a bit with his time at PSG. So hopefully that's kind of calmed him down a little bit uh, from what the slightly inflexible person he became at the end. Mm. But more than anything else, unless he is a dramatically different person to who he was seven years ago when we initially hired him, I do think that he first time round showed he can do a certain type of job, which is the type of job that forgets the stadium and the money and the players we've had and the nice things we've gotten used to with Champions League, whatever. In the meantime, I feel like he's shown he can do what we need to have done already. He's already shown that he can take a club that's in need of a rebuild bottom up and successfully implement that because he's done it once before. So I feel like there's a certain kind of safety with that. The issue there is, like Sox says, has he evolved as a coach to be able to push us on? But there's a part of me that feels that as fans, we're not the only one that thinks, oh, we thought the grass is greener and it wasn't. Our board, our chairman, who a lot of words in the grapevine is the biggest regret of his custodianship is getting rid of Pochettino. Mm. Hopefully he's realized that his big mistake was not backing Pochettino when he should have backed him after Pochettino had earned the right to be backed that summer transfer window of zero signings and giving him a Sissoko instead of a Sadio Mane or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> Hopefully he's realized that who were the same price transfer fee wise, but very different wages. Um, so hopefully the chairman has realized that actually I had the right guy all along. I didn't back him and I've just kept digging and digging and digging ever since. I don't yeah. know. Levy is not a stupid human being. So hopefully that that is fairly apparent to him. I also don't believe Pochettino comes back just because of the romanticism. I think he only comes back yeah, if it's on his he terms now. has assurances of being back. So I genuinely yeah. believe that. So that's why Pochettino does appeal to me. That said, there's a certain excitement of having the untainted up-and-comer, which would be someone like De Zerbi or uh, potentially the Feyenoord manager who's done an absolute sparkling yeah. job this season. Yeah, honestly, Arne someone Slots. like yeah. that. I mean, maybe that's just because Ajax without ten, maybe Ten Hag had Ajax punching <laughs> above their weight because let's yeah. face it, he's doing a great job at Manchester United, sadly for all of us here. Probably should have been him first time round. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were we were joking about 10 games at one point, weren't we? So yeah. I think maybe there's wariness there because things that look nice in Holland don't often look quite as nice over here. But someone like that, someone with an unblemished record, someone who is just on the up without any blips yet, and then we are the holy grail of a job at this point in their career. So De Zerbi, I'm a slot. I really like the Brentford manager I have for a long time. I've said that many, many times. Someone along those lines, maybe even go a little bit mad and get completely non-top flight experienced manager in like Vincent Company or Michael Carrick, who have turned clogger football clubs mm. into actually quite attractive. I mean, Burnley into Barcelona yeah. from Vincent Company. I, I so. think they'd both be popular choices, personally, for better or worse. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with them, but I think a lot of people would get excited about that idea because that does scream long-term project, doesn't it? And, you know, young, it hungry, does, something to prove and all of that. What I don't want is anyone that will come in and think they're doing us a favour. No. I don't want someone who thinks that every time they have to compromise on what they want, 
they are entitled to throw their toys out the pram because that's what mm. Mourinho did. That's what Conte did. That's what Pochettino was doing towards the end as well, to tell you the truth. But he'd earned the right to do that because he was let down after five years of turning yeah. water into wine. So I want someone who comes in and who's strong enough to ask for what they want for the board and sometimes get it, but also shrewd enough to adapt to what they can have a lot of the time as well. I mean, Harry Redknapp replaced Chorlika with an almost untested 3 million in the transfer markets, 19-year-old Kyle Walker. Mm. Look how that right. turned out. Yeah. I think there are a few people that fit that description. I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying, by the way, Elia, but I think there are there are certainly a few profiles like that for whom this would be the big chance to show off what they can do. Like Deserby, you mentioned, obviously, the lower league ones company, Carrick, Slot, Postacoglu at Celtic as well, who's been touted. I think mm. Nagelsmann technically falls outside of that definition by virtue of having managed Bayern Munich. But for some reason, it feels like an exception because it's not like he went there and won everything with them and is now, you know, the great Julian Nagelsmann. It didn't work out. And he's probably been quite harshly sacked, so it almost feels like a right. Big rumours of attitude problems, though. Well, Big rumours that the reason he's hasn't? gone is about his attitude. Who hasn't got attitude problems? Look at Vincent Company in his dressing room on that video I sent round. I mean, screaming at the players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, I think it's worth talking about Nagelsmann a little bit, just if for no other reason, because he is the heavy favourite at the moment, and there's a lot of rumours that he's in talks. Dave, I think you sent a video around just a minute ago. Sky Sports were reporting that there are talks going on as we speak, or something. Who knows? I mean, a few days ago we were. Convinced Thomas Tuchel was coming to Spurs that didn't happen so obviously if and when a manager is appointed we'll get into much more detail about what they can bring and how that could shape up but Dave what do you know about Julian Nagelsmann and, and what do you think of him as a prospect generally and for what Spurs need at the moment do you think that he could be a good solution for what we need right now Potentially. I mean, don't really understand why he was sacked. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Least of all him. And in fact, it's worth mentioning, sorry to cut in, he apparently found out that he was sacked via social media. Then had hey, to come into the, world, the office the to, be, in. to be formally <laughs> sacked the next day, broke up with his girlfriend and then was linked to the Tottenham job. I can't think of many people that have had a worse day than that. But That's anyway, a terrible day. As you were. But yeah, I think we joke, but us not knowing why he's been sacked means that there's a reason that he's been sacked that we don't know about. <laughs> and that would be my biggest red flag about that whole situation. It's also, again, because you're in this crazy twilight zone area between big club and not big club, wouldn't be his biggest job. So no. yeah, maybe his perceived failure of this job might then push him on to want to succeed at Spurs. But yeah, I think this is this would be a huge yeah. knee-jerk reaction from you guys. Oh, we haven't got a manager. Oh, yeah. well, the Bayern Munich manager is available. Let's get him. Ah, that's oversimplifying it. I, I, I think it is oversimplifying it, and that's why I'm worried that you're going to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bayern Munich have been known to do this. I mean, Bayern Munich, they're known as FC Hollywood in some circles, aren't they? Because they are a little bit like Chelsea and Real Madrid in that regard. They have been a bit trigger-happy with managers in the past, and the expectation is sky-high. You know, if you don't run away with the league by March, then you're failing in that job. At least that's the way they will see it. And his actual record, his win percentage, I think, has actually been very good there. It's just that Dortmund, isn't it, that are pushing them really, really close. Uh, so what do you think of Nagelsmann and how do you rate him as a potential next Spurs boss? I mean, I, I can shed some light on why he got sacked just because a couple of hours ago I was listening to a podcast on The Athletic with Rafa Honigstein, who's the German okay. football so I'm by, I don't watch any Bundesliga whatsoever, so I don't want to proclaim yeah. to be an expert myself. I'm just, in the way Elio yeah. plagiarizes me, I'm plagiarizing. <laughs> he was our first choice, by the way, but we had to settle for you, so he, he was busy. <laughs> thank, God, wasn't. thank God Sox is here, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Supposedly, there were a few key reasons. The first being that even though they've won a lot of games, particularly in the Bundesliga, 
they haven't been playing particularly well. They haven't been all that convincing, number one. Number yeah. two, he fell out with a couple of key members of the squad. So it wasn't everybody. Mm. The, it was the old guard. It was the likes of somebody like Emmanuel Neuer. In the way Chelsea managers used to fall out with Terry Lampard, Drogba, and that was it. It didn't matter about the rest of the squad because you yeah, fell out with the spine. In charge. It was the same thing there. And the third was very simply to what you said, Dags, where it's Bayern Munich. Uh, Rafa Honigstein, again, not myself, basically said... You're one point behind. You're not running away with the Bundesliga at this point. Bayern Munich don't accept that. So no. I don't read too much into him. So it'd be like reading into to call up Pochettino, not doing it with PSG. Or it'd be easy to look at the end of Pochettino, for example, at Spurs and go, oh, well, he only won one away game in the calendar year of 2019, which is absolutely true. We didn't win <laughs> one, one away game from January to November when he got sacked. But if you're following it on a week-by-week basis, you understand there's more context there. In terms of whether I want him or not, I can't say I know a tremendous amount about him. The only thing I like about him is that he seemingly likes us. And apparently he took a real fondness to Pochettino a few years ago because he sort of mm. saw him as a bit of a kindred spirit in the way he liked the football that we played. So that immediately kind of enamors me towards him. I have no idea whether he's the yeah. right fit because I don't know too much about him tactically beyond how flexible he supposedly is. But I go back to kind of what I said before, we could pick a sporting director after Paratici ends up in prison and that person could draw up a short list of candidates and he may or may not be on it. And that's kind of the stark reality of it where who is picking this coach? I know we can kind of discuss the hypotheticals of it, but I feel like whether it's Levy making the decision or a hypothetical sporting director, or if Pratishi stays, I'm saying he's going to end up in jail. Maybe he's completely acquitted and he stays on. He's got for somebody like a Luis Enrique. So it would yeah. not surprise me if we go any one of two or three different directions, of which Nagelsmann may be one. But the only other point to mention on him is that Real Madrid have supposedly taken a bit of a liking to him. And it wouldn't surprise yeah. you if Graham Potter is out of the job this summer as well. So it feels yeah. like there is going to be a bit of a, I think, Allegri might come to the end at Juventus. So I feel like there's going to be a big managerial merry-go-round this summer. And we are just going to have to get essentially what's left. <laughs> if Pochettino's at Real Madrid, we may get Nagelsmann. If Nagelsmann's at Real Madrid, we may get Pochettino. If they've all gone elsewhere, then we'll probably just end up with Graham Potter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it's all pointing, isn't it? I think uh, Nagelsmann will end up at Chelsea and then will end up with Potter. Which, you know what? Again, I think a lot of what we've just said about Nagelsmann, you could simply say about Potter as well. He was doing just fine until he went to Chelsea, which is a thankless task and an impossible job in many ways. Obviously, some, I mean, Antonio Conte did perfectly fine there. Maybe we should have done it the other way around. Maybe they got the wrong jobs. But, you know, who knows? Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that could work. I mean, it, I feel like I've been so spectacularly wrong about Antonio Conte. I was convinced that he was going to turn our fortunes around. I don't give myself any credit now in, in predicting it. But I think there are a lot of things to like on paper about Nagelsmann. I think he's obviously a very young coach. He's younger than me, which I find a little bit disturbing. I'm not going to lie. Um, he, he's very innovative. There's all this talk about him embracing technology and training and having drones follow the game in real time so he can analyze the game from above, a bit like playing football manager. And there's a lot of focus on psychology and player relationships. I think everything I've read or heard about him is that he he likes to be a friend to players, which is understandable given his age. And he's very much like Pochettino in that regard. Like the players, they don't feel he's some kind of authoritarian figure. He's not this kind of head dryer treatment in the dressing room in german there are two versions of the word you there's the kind of informal do and there's the z which is when you're addressing your parents or your boss or an older person he encourages players to call him do you know say you in that way as in like i'm one of the guys i'm one of your buddies i'm not going to shout to you we're on the same team here and maybe that's why it didn't work at bayern maybe they needed 
uh, Conte type to go in and start shouting and screaming and kicking up a fuss and a bit, a bit more of an authority figure there, a bit more of a dad. Who knows? But I think there's a lot about it that could be interesting. Is there anyone else that we've not mentioned yet? Because I feel like we've done the whole merry-go-round. We've talked about every potentially available manager out there in the market or not in the market, as the case may be. We haven't talked about Bielsa yet, Dave. You still stand by the idea that Bielsa to Spurs is a good plan? I mean, you'd have a great time. <laughs> I don't think you'd have a day. great time. That's all we want. We just want to have a great time, I think. Yeah, you know, I let's take it one I, step at yeah, a time. I, I, well, I don't think Bielsa is on Levy's list. One one that, that I think Sox has mentioned, which I'm going to mention again, is the sporting coach. Uh, I'm him. I think there's an argument that if you are looking for a manager who has experience, is young, has new ideas, has experience in the Champions League, and would see Spurs as a step up from where they are. Yeah then I think he ticks all the boxes. The only thing that I'm unsure about is whether he is like, you know, Stone Cold Hardcore Sporting Club de Portugal fan. And if that's the case, then it's not happening. But he's certainly exciting. And Mm. also, you know, if you look at some of the players that have been kind of swirling around and and have have come from sporting, obviously you guys have got one uh, right wing back. But there's others in the Premier League, Fulham's best player one of Wolves' best players. And if they can continually roll out that type of quality player, why would they not be able to roll out that type of quality manager? And that, for me, would be a reason to go for it. But I don't know. It's always going to be a gamble. um, Mm. And you just kind of have to work out what the lowest gamble is. And based on his experience in the Champions League as well, I think I'd go with him. Yeah, I think the big question mark there is the same as with Arna Slot or with Postacoglu in that it's just not one of the top leagues and there's always that question mark. Well, I, think can they replicate I think Slot's it? A, a solid level below Spurs and Armourin by disassociation. Yep. I think Slot's the kind of manager we'd, we'd get. If Javi Gracia keeps us up but doesn't impress, yeah. we'll get Slot. Or we'll get, I think, Areola from Vaikana. You know, he's doing a good job with a lesser team in a good league. Um, you know, yeah. uh, I think that's the kind of thing that Leeds would go for. Therefore, I think with Slot, I think he'd be punching far too low. I think he's not a big enough name. I think you lose three games, everybody wants his head. We and will he see. A, he has a very round head. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's very interesting times and we're in danger of pure speculation at this point. I think we will have plenty of opportunities in the coming episodes to talk about potential replacements. I think in all likelihood, it will probably be the end of the season or beyond the end of the season when we actually know who is taking over. But you never know. You never know. Things can surprise us. But we'll stay close to the story there and see if there are any likely developments and see who ends up being our manager. And of course, we'll keep a close eye on Stellini for the rest of the season, Stellini slash Mason, and see how they do. I think between them, there are two most successful managers ever statistically or something along those lines. So we could do a lot worse. First of all, do before we need we go to any talk? Further, Sorry, just do, just do we need to talk how much of a snake Stellini is, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> do we? You tell me. I don't know. I I, I wasn't expecting Cheers, him boss. to Have stay a good on. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay on actually. Yeah. 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 Oh, Christian, we're going. Like we're, we're going. Okay. Oh, you're going. Oh, good. Okay. Bye. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, we're going. I'll, no. I'll, I'll get next bus. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. I, all I really mind, all I want to know, and I, no one's answered this definitively, is is Gianni Vio going? Because that's what I'm really scared about. The only squad member that left was Conte's brother. I don't know what role he actually had on the staff, but literally okay. all the stayed. So it's not just Stellini, Vio, yeah. and whoever was the fitness guy. Literally all of them have stayed on. Sounds like Conte has been surrounding himself by a bunch of snakes, a big bag of snakes. <laughs> it sure does sound like that, doesn't it? <laughs> there is no manager you could get 
that would play better football than Bielsa. The thing is with Bielsa, he's literally the closest thing to Pochettino that isn't Pochettino. Like stylistically, he's, he's a bit more volatile mm. in the sense that you could announce him June the 1st and he'll have resigned by June the 2nd. Just, <laughs> that's how it goes. That's yeah, how, I don't think he'd play ball with Levy. Yeah. Aside from that, it's the closest thing stylistically to... Bearing in mind, he's a disciple of Bielsa. I actually, I actually don't think he'd hate working with Levy because Bielsa isn't about big money signings. Bielsa loves to show how great he is at developing players and basing everything on a great system that can actually punch above its weight. So I actually think he'd no, be a decent that. It wouldn't be the fact that you're not getting the big signings. It would be the fact that you take so long to get the small signings. You know, he's not he's not one for waiting for you to get the best price for someone or sweating someone out. If he wants a player, he needs them yesterday so that he can get them into his horrific murder ball tactics <laughs> sessions yeah. so that they can get used to the way that he plays. Like the only negative I have about Bielsa is that if he was still in charge of Leeds, Nonto would not have played a game yet. Yeah. They he wouldn't mm. have got him anywhere near the, the squad. McKenney would not be fit enough and he wouldn't be playing for the team. It would be in yeah. the 21s getting fit. And that is the biggest shortfall of Bielsa because he, too he, stubborn. he's far too stubborn and set in his ways of what the optimum footballer needs to be and the experience that they need to have. I actually think there's a big element there of just teams that are successful in modern football being these teams that can combine playing well with just running all day long and having these exceptional fitness levels, including Manchester City. And that's the reason why Spurs could only sustain it for a few years without properly replenishing because they burnt out. That's why the wheels have come off a bit at Liverpool this season as well, though I do have a fair amount of faith that Klopp can get that back with them. So I actually think that unless you can buy a few 50 million players every summer, sustaining a squad at that level is almost impossible. Yeah, let's see. Maybe we'll go from sufferable to murderable in the space of the summer. (laughs) I think Bielsa is probably quite low down the list on the bookies of likely replacements, so we'll see. But he'd fly over to turn you down. He, I'm sure he would because he is a gentleman. Offer to do the 20 Learn English just to do it. Well, don't go that far. As much as I'd love to keep speculating on our next manager, we should probably move the podcast on a little bit onto other orders of business. So, from someone who's definitely not going to be here next season to several who may or may not be here next season to another, and that is. Harry Kane, who, as is always the case, we're talking about whether he'll be part of our squad in the following season, always seems to be on the agenda. But let's put that on the side for a moment and talk about how brilliant he is for England and congratulate him once again. It feels like every week we're talking about another record for Harry Kane on being England's all-time greatest goal scorer. And I should add, now Spurs have contributed more England goals than any other club. Dave, do you want to say the line? What a trophy. There it is. Uh, Yeah. So well done, Spurs. Well done, Harry Kane. Um, We've already kind of gone over it when we talked about him becoming all-time top goal scorer for us, which was well-deserved. And of course, we went into a lot of detail about how brilliant he is, but it is worth taking a moment to talk about it again. Who should we go to this time? Let's go to Sox. Because we've not heard much from you at all in the last, well, 30, 40 episodes or so. So let's hear your (laughs) thoughts on on Harry Kane, specifically with his England legacy, um, and potentially why maybe he doesn't get the love that he should do from England fans it's been a weird one I've already seen people try and discredit him and go oh well he's only scored against like Lithuania (laughs) and Macedonia and Cyprus and with the greatest respect to all these countries and all the rest of it yeah I think with Kane it will be a case of England will really miss him when he's gone unless there is another obvious candidate that breaks through people won't kind of fully appreciate 
what he's done for them until that next kind of mediocre striker or somebody like a Callum Wilson is the one that's taken over. But in terms of him beating the record, it kind of felt like an anticlimax in the sense that it was so mm. obvious it's been coming for so many years. It was just a case of when is it going to happen? Uh, but exactly. way, like you said, it's, it's a nice kind of feather in our cap in terms of Spurs. But for him, you saw how much it meant to him. And I think that was the, I wouldn't say mm. it was surprised, but he's almost like quite emotionless. Like I, I really like Kane, but he's quite bland. Like he, he, he's yeah. boring. I love him as a player, but he's very, like his his favorite brand is Coldplay. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> his favorite brand of cornflakes is probably just cornflakes. Like that's the kind of guy he is. He doesn't need to have an exciting personality and that's fine, but he's, there aren't too many goals I can think of of his where he's really kind of exerted a huge amount of passion, a huge amount of emotion. And that was one of them. And he speaks a lot in interviews about, oh, look, I don't really care about the individual records and I'm not really thinking he about does. them. And it's obviously bollocks. And you look at those celebrations <laughs> and that's the sort of proof that it's obviously bollocks. Yeah. So yeah, on a personal level, really happy for him. Like I said, I think the biggest detriment to England, not just the football team, but just English sports is the English particularly the media and the fans, whether it's someone like Kane or Flintoff or Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah. We seem to have a habit in this country, both as individuals and as the media, of tearing down our own. We seem to have a fetish for it. But like I say, yeah. I think in many years' time, like history will be more than kind to him and nobody's going to be talking about, you know, the four he scored against San Marino or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, let's let's hope you're all right. Well, no podcast will be complete without a little wisdom from Joey Barson. So uh, let me read you his recent tweet. Uh, people comparing Harry Kane to Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney is in a completely different stratosphere. Levels and levels and levels above. He posted while sharing a list of all the teams against whom Harry Kane has scored his 50 plus goals. Conveniently forgetting that Wayne Rooney, of course, scored all of his goals against almost the exact same opposition and, and in friendlies and World Cup qualifiers and penalties and, and the rest. And uh, also conveniently ignoring the fact that there are not different stratospheres. There is just the stratosphere. But yeah, I'm, I'm nitpicking now. Joey Barton doesn't need my help to make him look stupid. Harry Kane has as many World Cup golden boots as Wayne Rooney has World Cup goals. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Boom. <laughs> For a minute, I thought you were saying as many as he has England goals. And I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, World Cup goals. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Elio, a word for Joey Barson? Oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> All right, I let's mean, go make a cup of tea. Why, why, why are we even discussing the opinions of a man who beat up his wife and put a cigar out in a teenager's eye? I mean, <laughs> the guy's a scumbag. He's a sh- football he's a sh- manager and the world will be better when he's dead he should <laughs> jesus elio tell, tell us what you really think he should probably be in prison in all fairness and if he were in prison and he found himself face to face with pedro porro he would be in for a rough time because pedro porro in his own words would end up owning the place this was him in response to <laughs> saying that uh Tim Sherwood won't be the first to eat his words and have to shut his mouth. Uh, he really hopes he keeps saying bad things to make him stronger. Let him loose in a prison and he'll end up owning the place. Good words there, Poro. I liked that very much. Basically saying that he would make Sherwood his prison bitch. Vitriol aside, whether it's Joe Barton or anyone else, yeah. comparing Kane to Rooney, comparing Kane to Shearer, comparing Kane to Lineker, um, all of whom he's not just outscored, but outscored in fewer games mm. as well. What's the point? They played in different teams in different times. It's the same as the whole Messi versus Maradona argument and Cruyff versus Pelé, whatever. Like At the end of the day, 
Wayne Rooney scored his goals in an England team that also had Gerrard and Beckham and whatever in it. And then there'll be people who say, well, Kane has Saka and Declan Rice, I guess. Um, you know what I think of him. But uh, <laughs> I, I just I just think it's such a pointless thing to go on about. And then they start comparing the trophies. Yeah, Kane played for Spurs when Spurs were the side who occasionally finished top three challenge for one title and have always been in the top six. Wayne Rooney played for Manchester United side that were mopping up trophies and ever presence in the Champions League. It's just ridiculous to compare things like that. I mean, Wayne Rooney was a great player. His career probably didn't go as long as it could have because of how early he started and also how badly he took care of himself. Harry Kane has achieved everything Rooney has achieved in a short space of time and by the end of this season will overtake his Premier League goal scoring records in fewer years as well and we have Shearer left to catch so just what's the point it's so it's so inane I mean great player great player I think Kane's a better player I'm biased I'm partisan yeah many people will argue Wayne Rooney's the better player that's fine but to actually try and detract from Kane's achievements with this sort of straw man argument is, mm. is just pathetic really and it's just endemic of this sort of slit in hair pierced eyebrow FIFA playing wank generation that we live in <laughs> oh dear Oh dear. Well, to paraphrase a former podcast, I think it's a little bit like the Emerson, Royale and Messi debate. Why can't we just enjoy them both? So, you know, <laughs> let's leave it at that. Um, one of Wayne Rooney's former clubs, of course, is Everton, who oh, happens to be our next opponents. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad you appreciated that one. Everton weighs on its game on Monday. It feels like forever since we've had actual football and forever since we've previewed a game because we haven't talked about it yet. Um, Dave, as I mentioned in the intro, you obviously have uh, quite a strong vested interest in this game. It feels like every opponent Spurs have recently. You're an extra hard Spurs fan at the moment because we keep on needing to do you favours. Do you think we are going to do you the favour you need on Monday against Everton? And uh, what do you think of the new look Everton under, who I suspect you would confirm is a significantly improved manager? I reckon we're going to do you a bigger favour when we beat <laughs> Arsenal this weekend, to be honest. That would be um, lovely, Dave. But, uh, but yeah, enough of that nonsense. You should be Everton. Everton is terrible. They don't score any goals. Their second top scorer is Anthony Gordon. This is why you're on the show, Dave. <laughs> Hasn't played for them for 10 games. Their top scorer is Demarai Gray, who, uh, who doesn't play and has six goals. Six goals. Second top scorer is Dwight McNeil with three. But they beat Arsenal, Dave. What's to say they won't beat us? This sounds like a classic Spurs banana skin, if you ask me. It is. I'm. I'm. I'm already. I'm. I'm. I'm getting mad that you've already <laughs> In lost of us throwing this away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is frustrating me. But fortunately, well, the, the, our, our our destiny is in our own hands, and we just need to beat Arsenal at the Emirates. So don't worry about it. I believe Elio said. I forgive you guys. <laughs> thanks. I believe Elio said on the last episode that. If Conte is in the dugout against Everton, we will lose. I think that was a fair comment. He's not going to be in the dugout against Everton, of course. Uh, we might have a little bit of new manager bounce. And of course, the last couple of times Delaney has been in charge of the team, we've done very, very well. Socks, how do you see that game going? Do you think, do you, first of all, do you agree with Elio's statement there? <laughs> Would we have yeah. thrown this I'm, game had Conte still been here in, in light of everything that had just happened? Uh, and do you think we're going to win it now? I have no idea because I don't know what Stellini's like as a coach. It feels like we're just playing a bit mm. of a guessing game. I think the most obvious thing to predict would be that we're probably going to carry on in the same system. But even though Stellini's been there the last couple of months where Conte's obviously been at home in Italy after his surgery, everything we were told was that he was, for the most part, carrying on the orders 
of Conte so much so that they were texting each other during games when they wanted to make an adjustment. So I've got no idea if we line up with a 3-4-3 or a 4-2-3-1 and all the rest of it. I think if it's the same system and the same tactics, then the only difference will be is that you'll have Ristolini doing the more man management side of things than you will do the tactical side of things. And Mm. that was what saw us be City, Chelsea, West Ham. But at the same time, we also lost away to Wolves and to Sheffield United with that same kind of setup. So it's a really difficult thing to to predict. It's also worth mentioning that over the international break and just prior to that, we picked up another slew of injuries. So we're now down Davis and obviously Sessegnon's out. So if we were to play four at the back, Paris and Emerson. And Emerson. So we've not got a left back. We've only got a left wing back. We've only got one right back. Obviously, Richarlison's out because he got injured at Southampton right before the break. And Basuma and a a few others are still out as well. So we are kind of to the bare bones. But I think it's an impossible one to predict. The only thing I would say is that, and this, I might regret it the second I say it, but I'm actually looking forward to the game. And it's the first time (laughs) I can say that for quite a few months just because I've got no idea what the hell we're going to look like. And that means that there's a possibility for victory. Yeah, that's what that's what it's all about, and that's what we do on this podcast. Socks, we we curse ourselves, we we damn ourselves to losing by getting overly confident, which is you know just part and parcel of being a Spurs fan. Um, I never listed that, that way. Actually, it's quite interesting to see whether he changed the system because he was obviously under the very watchful eye of Conte when he was in charge of the teams before, and he, he was he wouldn't have dared pick a back four or change things around. Whereas now he must have this sense of freedom, thinking, okay, I might only be here for ten games, but I can do what I want. It makes me think of the first few times I went shopping on my own after when I went to uni and, you know, I could actually buy whole milk and not semi-skimmed. It was such a big moment for me, you know? It's a bit like that. Um, but anyway, you know, my sad life aside, <laughs> we'll see what happens with, with Everton. Um, Elio, I know you were fearing the worst, but now that we have a new lease of life and a new manager and maybe a new manager bounce, I imagine you will be thoroughly disappointed with anything less than victory at Goodison. Oh, always. I also know that we're going up against Sean Dyke's side, so mm. he's my least favourite manager to play against since Sam Allies. So let, let's see. I think a new manager balance is a bit of a myth, to tell you the truth. I think it happens with the top clubs more and the bottom clubs less. We are a better club than Everton. We have better players than Everton, even with the decimated squads yeah. and we are still having a much better season than Everton. So hopefully that can see us through to the win. What I just want to see is the players playing without fear, which is all I've seen in well, the last nine months, basically. And and if, if they do that, that's a start. And you know what? I've kind of gone into Tim Sherwood's territory in terms of ambivalence towards the rest of this season. So as long as the players actually fight for their spots next season i'm satisfied i've kind of i know dave finds this ridiculous but i've kind of written off top four in my head i just want to enjoy the rest of the season as much as possible i'll enjoy that more with wins so i hope we win but i primarily just want to see the players go out there and play with a little bit of pride and play for the shirt now eddie i know we take the piss out of your pronunciation of certain words often on this podcast i've noticed a couple of times that you've referred to sean dyche as sean dyke which conjures (laughs) up an image in my mind of some horrifying mutant (laughs) combination of virgil van dyke and sean dyche like one of those drawings you see I on Twitter. I thought you were going somewhere else then. <laughs> Which I now, I now want to see somehow. My morbid curiosity is getting the better of me. We'll, we'll see. We'll be back to bring you our analysis of that game. And um, we might have some more information as to who our next manager will be. We probably won't. But if we do, we'll bring it to you. We'll let you know what our thoughts are. And uh, of course, we will be 
tearing that game apart and hopefully talking about a victory. I don't know, Elio, if you've gone to the effort of making a challenge earlier this week, but I would suggest, given how long this episode has run, that we might push it to next week if you have. With the internet issues you've been having, I suspect you didn't, though. Am I right? I I didn't expect to be recording until um, <laughs> earlier on this morning when I woke up to see the responses to my message well, yesterday. So. Yeah. In the nicest yeah. way, I think that's excellent news. So we'll have hopefully have a challenge, Elio. <laughs> and I do mean in the nicest way, because we've been going on for quite some time. And I think that's something to look forward to next week, to uh, go alongside our analysis of our 5-0 thumping of Everton and Leeds beating of Arsenal as well. So all those happy things to look forward to for all of you. Thanks, as always, Dave and Elio, for joining. And a special thanks to Sox for another outstanding outing. We were talking before about how you're basically our Ledley King. You don't show up every week, but when you do you, you knock it out of the park will you out for the big occasions and you do not disappoint so another excellent outing how have you enjoyed your latest plus day of experience yeah it's been cathartic like therapy <laughs> so, we'll see i think the last time i was here we'd lost three nil at home to chelsea and jimmy Greaves had just died this time oh, God, around yeah that was it wasn't it so whether the next time next week or in 12 months from now let's see what horror has befallen us <laughs> we've just brought you in for some of the most depressing episodes imaginable haven't we that, that is not by design I promise you maybe subconsciously maybe we'll but... collapse the next time into like a sinkhole or something <laughs> I tell you what the next time we bring you on I'll do my very best to make sure it is a happy occasion with some really fun good stuff to talk about so we all look forward very much to that well with that in mind I think that's time to wrap things up but thank you once again to everybody who has listened and we hope as many of you as possible join us next week follow us on Twitter at plus dave podcast follow all of us too you know where we are and hopefully we will see you again for a happier podcast until then stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! Oh, they've done it!